There may not be a more competitive legislative primary this year than the Republican scramble to become the next 15th District State Senator. Andrew Koenig is one of the competitors hoping to succeed State Senator Eric Schmidt. The Manchester Republican joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, three two, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, no, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And our special guest for today... Representative Andrew Koenig. A Republican from Manchester and one of two Republican competitors running for the 15th Senatorial District seat. Welcome to the show. You're a first-timer. Um, we appreciate you coming on. Just yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Do you want to explain first where the for our listeners where the 15th district is? Sure. What the 15th district, the western border, is at Old State, Ellisville, and then it goes uh, east until you hit um, uh, Kirkwood. It takes in a lot of Kirkwood. Uh, it goes south uh, down 270 on both sides of 270 until you hit Highway 55, and then everything until you hit Jefferson County. We are recording uh, this show on June 10th. We are going to be recording another show with uh, Representative Koenig's competitor, Rick Stream, in a few days, and we're going to have these back-to-back. So just uh, just kind of a, a FYI for our listeners, neither candidate will be able to hear what the other candidate says. Yeah, Eric Schmidt, who's running for um, state treasurer, is leaving the seat, and he's from Glendale. Yeah. So. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of about your upbringing, um, and why you got into politics in the first place. Sure. I grew up in Baldwin, so I've lived in St. Louis County virtually my entire life. And uh, I went to Linwood University, and where I met my wife running cross-country. And we got married while we were still in college. And then I start, I, uh, ran, my dad started a paint company in 1994. I took that over when I was in college and continued painting. And, you know, when I was painting, I'd said, you know, I'd, I'd complain about things in politics. So instead of just sitting around and complaining about things, um, when I saw that was going to be an open seat, I decided to run for office. Now, before we get to that race, how fast can you run a mile? Uh, well, you know, I ran, I ran in, 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 at Linwood University. We ran cross country, so it was a five mile. So I ran about a 30 minute five mile. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that is pretty good. In fact, that not only is that pretty good, that's like <laughs> exceptionally good. Uh, just for comparison's sake, I can run a 5K, which is about three miles in about 24 minutes. So that means you're averaging about what, five, six minutes a mile? Right. Yeah, and there'd be times where I'd get under that 30 minutes. Wow. Are you the fastest man in the Missouri legislature? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not now. I have, you know, we have five kids, we do foster care. Um, we have three of our own, um, and you know, running a small business and running for office, I really don't have much time for running these days. Although you'd probably run a lot around the house with five kids. Yes, yeah, our, uh, yeah, we have twin babies. Oh wow! And uh, my oldest is ten. Okay, so wow, that I, I only have one kid, so I, having five is probably one kid times uh, a and million. I, or something. I've also been very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife homeschools our kids, mm-hmm. so that way they can travel with me to Jeff City. And so, you know, a lot of the legislatures, you know, they're away from their families. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I get to stay close to them. Oh, really? So does your so your family stays in Jeff City during the during the, the legis- during the session? Yes. So do you rent a house or? Yeah, we rent a farmhouse. A farmhouse. Although, yeah. So it's it's a it's this it's an experience. Great. Considering my wife is uh, more of a city 
woman, and uh, so the farmhouse was a, a little bit out there for her, you know, going on a gravel road. Yeah. Do you have, like, pigs and chickens or ostriches or buffalo or anything? Well, we don't have any farm animals. We just rent the house. I know. Yeah. I was being a bit facetious, but... I do, want to, I do want. I do. Uh, I was being very facetious. Um, so in 2008, who which, who was vacating the seat? First of all, like who were, who was who held the seat before you, you ran for? Uh, Neil Saint Ange. N- Neil okay. Saint Ange. Okay. okay. The the for a while he was the most famous politician from Ellisville until Adam Paul got impeached, as I like to joke. <laughs> um, so that was like a multi-candidate primary, and one of the candidates who you were running against was Shemed Dogan, who at the time was a former aide to Senator Talent. He had a lot of endorsements. I think he probably had raised more money than you. But you ended up defeating him in that contest. Tell us a little bit about that race because it was a pretty interesting one. Yeah, he outspent me four to one. Um, but my, what my wife and I did is we we knocked on doors every night for a year. And, uh, you know, when you have that personal touch and you talk to someone one-on-one, um, you know, there's a good chance that they're going to support you. Do you do, now, and as our listeners probably know because he's been on the podcast before, uh, Shemed Dogan became Representative Dogan in 2014. Uh, do you, what is your relationship like? I'm just curious, given that you ran against each other, but you now serve together. This has happened a few times, and oftentimes when people aren't in the same district anymore, the, the tensions kind of subside. Is that basically what's happened? Here? Yeah, I would say that's happened. We, we, what we had is redistricting. And uh, so Sharn Horse was being termed out, and then uh, Shamed ran for that. And, yeah, I'm on good terms with him. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. So you, you were in your final year in the Missouri House. Um, it, it seems like time has just flown by because when I was talking with you on the phone to set up the show, for some reason I thought that you'd only been in there six years because time has flown by so quickly. So um, – now you're kind of taking the next step and running for the state Senate. What has prompted you to do that uh, first? I mean, why did you decide you wanted to go ahead and run for the Senate? And is there anything that you're taking away from the House as you run for the Senate? I mean, as far as lessons. Well, I, what I think we need in, in the Senate is we need constitutional conservatives um, who, who stand up for limited government. And uh, I think I'm the right person for that job. Um, I'm, you know, I've proven myself to be a, a conservative. I want to cut out corporate welfare. Um, I passed the first income tax cut in 93 years um, here in Missouri. And uh, I also, th- this year, we passed uh, some TIF reform. We've had um, $5.8 billion in taxpayer subsidies to private enterprise over the last 20 years in St. Louis County, and I believe that's wrong. Um, what you find when you drive up and down Manchester Road is you'll find that Walmart has moved three times and uh, on taxpayer dime. And that's not fair to the business that um, who created built their own building, um, and then Walmart moves on moves in on tax paradigm and puts them out of business. Now I was just looking at a national survey on TIFs, or actually a study rather, just in the last week or two, and they were looking at specific areas. And the bottom line was that they were saying, especially if you look at um, what the na- how the national economy is going, is that actually TIFs haven't created. I mean, the conclusion of the study now. I'm, was that the TIFs had, had created few jobs. That basically what they were doing is what you were saying. It created it just sh- what it does store is hopping. It, right. It, it shuffles things around. You know, in St. Louis County, we have 92 cities. And what they do is they compete over this. But it doesn't actually create jobs. It just shuffles jobs from, you know, one mile, for a couple miles down the road. So, you know, there was a study um, that I looked at that showed that in Missouri, that if uh, one city did a TIF, 
the neighboring city within five years was three times more likely to do another TIF. So what you find is um, uh, cities competing over these businesses, but it doesn't actually create jobs for the region. Now, for the listeners, probably should explain, TIFs stand for Tax Increment Financing. Correct. And to simplify it, tell me if I'm wrong, is that basically it means that uh, a company gets either some delayed taxes or they get special tax cuts so they wouldn't pay as much as they would if there was no TIF. Am I correct? Or so what, explain? The, what the TIFs do is um, they can use uh, sales tax and property tax, and it goes for the building of that project. And a lot of times they'll do like a TIF bond, and then they'll pay that back over like 20 years. And isn't it used basically for like the parking lots and some of the infrastructure aspects? That's kind of what it's meant for. But I, I think sometimes it's, it's used for other things. Yeah, it's used for correct. When it was originally intended, that's what it was intended for. But we've gotten... For, so far past that. So can you explain what your bill does? Because we were talking before the show, and it seems like legitimately impactful, especially in St. Louis County. Sure. When TIFs were originally formed, um, they they were formed for, oh, hey, in St. Charles, they have green fields. It's easier to build out there. And so we've gotten so far past that. And what my bill does, it kind of reinstitutes it into its original intent. Currently, right now, there's a St. Louis TIF Commission, St. Charles TIF Commission, St. Uh, Jefferson TIF Commission. If they say no to a TIF, it goes back to the city. And currently, the city can override the TIF Commission, and the TIF Commission has no power. What my bill does is it gives the TIF Commission power to override the city. And if uh, or to, and, and then when it goes back to the city, they only can use it for greenfield status. So they can't use it for building a building. They can't use it for a financing cost. They can't use it for property assembly. They can only use it to maybe remove an existing building. Now, how, what was the, the reception in the House as far as when you first put it on the table? Because I would think there, there were, had been had to have been some resistance at least that was what i was going to say and i mean i think in previous years when local government was less unpopular than it is now i'm not sure your bill could have ever passed Mm -hmm. that's what i was getting to there's been um a very there was a very strong this bill has been filed year after year for over a decade and it just couldn't get it through um but what you find is there was a lot of opposition in the background but once i got to the floor I got a lot of votes. Um, it when it, pa- it passed 145 votes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I think the final version passed by less because yes. some of the Democrats didn't end up voting for it, but Correct. was still with a veto-proof majority. And you know, I can't read the governor's mind, but he typically is not as receptive to the concerns of local government than maybe other people. I wouldn't be surprised if he signed it into law. So well, well yeah, see. well because he, I mean, I know you and the governor disagree on many things. But he has been an advocate of, like, uh, curbing or eliminating many of the state's special tax breaks for corporations, too. Yeah, I think, I think conservatives and some liberals can agree on this issue, issue that corporate welfare is bad. Now, where we disagree is I believe that we should have low taxes. You know, I want to cut the corporate welfare so we can cut taxes, where the liberals might say we want to cut the corporate welfare so we can have more government spending. You mentioned that you were the, you were the sponsor of the 2004. 14 tax cut yes. that yes. actually yes. was was overridden, not the 2013 Correct. one that wasn't. Correct. I think that that was considered like the 2013 tax cut, which did not get overridden. I think was criticized for having a lot of flaws in it from a from a legislative writing perspective. 2014 one was we had cri- a, yeah, criticized we, by the governor, but right. it seemed a little bit less so. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, or? I mean, Chris Coster, who's like the likely Democratic nominee for governor. 
had not opposed the 2014 cut. So just kind of explain what it did and kind of how it got passed. So what it did is it cut Missouri's income tax from 6% down to 5.5, and it's going to be phased in over five years. And one of the big differences was the trigger. Um, We have a trigger in there where um, during the phase, and it only gets triggered if we have $150 million increase in state revenue. So you're kind of cutting the growth of government. Yeah, so if you have if you start having years like we had in 2009 and 2010, the tax cut wouldn't would go not get triggered. F- right. Correct. And you know, we 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 are in a situation where it's almost like we have a Midwest tax revolt. You have um, you have Tennessee that has no income tax. You have Kansas that drastically cut their income tax. Oklahoma has been cutting their income tax for a number of years. So in order to compete along our borders, Missouri had to do had to file suit and cut our taxes. Now, does it make it uh, a weaker argument because Kansas's economic problems have been exacerbated since they cut their taxes by the amount they did? And some have been pointing to Oklahoma as well, saying that they've had to rely so much on oil revenue and other things. And now that they're having trouble with uh, fracking and the uh, higher earthquakes that some say are caused by that. Uh, does that when when you're making the argument uh, as far as tax cuts, have the Republicans found it more difficult because especially because of what's going on in Kansas? Well, one thing that I would consider is ours was done much more responsibly. Theirs was just like a hatchet. What we wanted to do is we wanted to cut the growth, and so you know if we if state revenues don't go up, then the tax cuts don't get implemented. So we did it much differently, I think much more responsibly than what Kansas did. So how do you think this is actually going to affect ordinary people? Because on the face of it, when 6 to 5.5%, I don't know how much that's going to save an average Missourian because pretty much the average Missourian pays the same tax if they make over $9,000 a year. How do you think this is going to benefit people, especially when you consider that if there's less money going into the state, there may be less money for programs, essentially? Well, what I would say is, um, you know, we need to cut a lot of those tax credits, too. We have nearly $600 million Correct. in corporate transferable tax credits, and I'm totally opposed to that, and I'm totally against that. So if, you, if, we, if we're in a position where we think the state needs more revenue, what we need to do is cut that. Now, if you're in the Senate, would you – I mean, the Senate's often been the uh, burial ground for efforts to reduce the tax credits. Some, uh, several years they've gotten through the House, got stopped, blocked in the Senate. Um, if you were in the Senate, would this be one of the issues you'd be pressing, or I'm just interested in your take on this? Yes, the corporate welfare, whether it's TIF or the tax, transferable tax credits, would be my top priority for sure, cutting out the corporate welfare. Now, as you're campaigning, I mean, what do people talk about? Do they talk about this or do they talk about other things? Uh, this is something that people do talk about when I knock on doors. Um, you know, when I tell them that we, you know, St. Louis County has spent $5.8 billion in taxpayer subsidies or that we have these tax credits that are transferable so someone can ha- not have a tax liability and then they can sell it to another business for, you know, 80% on the dollar, people are outraged by it. Now, I wanted to talk about another issue that I think has corresponded with your tenure in the Missouri House, and that's Medicaid. Um, the governor, uh, Governor Jay Nixon, is leaving office after uh early January. I think from the beginning of his tenure up until now, he has pushed for an expansion in eligibility to Medicaid in different ways. In his first year, he tried to expand it uh, by a little small amount, a with relatively small amount with the hospital. Yeah, covering and and it, then yeah. he wanted to expand it by much more using the ACA money. Um, 
before we get to a clip I'm going to play of his, what has been kind of your idea and kind of your posture towards the governor's advocacy of this? Well, I'm against Medicaid expansion. Um, and one reason why is, well, it's a failing program. You have poor outcomes and poor access. And why would you want to expand a program and potentially put taxpayers' money more at risk, um, even if the feds are paying part of it, that they're not going to pay for it forever. Most likely, we're going to uh, Missouri citizens are going to be put at risk at a higher amount in the, sometime in the future. And you have a program that doesn't produce results. How would you change the program, or would you eliminate it entirely? I do think the program needs to be reformed. And uh, Dr. Frederick had a, a reform bill. And what we need to do is we need to create incentives in the program for people to make good choices. And right now we don't have that. So I'm going to play a clip now from the governor. He made this statement to me yesterday in response to a question that I had, was, which was, you came to office saying you wanted to expand eligibility for Medicaid. You're obviously not going to be successful totally. What's kind of your reaction to that, and how do you move the, the needle forward on it? This is about a minute long, but I wanted to make sure it was in context for you to respond to. And you'll think this is a bizarre analogy, Jason, but you're, you have an odd twist sometimes on the news, so you can probably tolerate it. Um, yesterday, the Missouri Highway and Transportation Department voted to move forward on a project that the city of Washington has been working on probably for 20 years building a new bridge across the, the, the Missouri at Washington, Missouri. Um, this year, we also uh, made the necessary steps forward to get a new bridge, one we had to close last year for traffic for a while in Louisiana, Missouri. Two significant pieces. A big part of the dollars that will ultimately pay for both those projects are gas tax money paid for by Missourians that went to the federal government. I wish we could be as equally non-political about drawing down monies to help human beings as we can to help 18-wheelers and people getting across rivers, okay? So I have to admit, when he, he prefaced that about a bizarre analogy, I thought he was going to make a professional wrestling analogy, <laughs> but he, he I actually don't think that's that bizarre of an analogy because I don't think he's ever made that argument before. And I think what he's basically saying is a lot of Republicans are very happy when transportation projects get done with federal money, why shouldn't Republicans leap at the opportunity to get federal money to expand Medicaid? What's kind of your response to that? Well, I'd say with the, with the transportation funds, um, what you have is um, sometimes one-time money or increased money. Um, but, you know, those are uh, helping all of Missourians and our tra uh, transportation infrastructure. But with Medicaid, what you have is you have a failing program. Um, you have people that have poor access, and what we need is we need to reform that program so it works better and we get better health care outcomes. Now, um, as, as you know, one of the arguments the last couple of years from the Hospital Association is, is that some of the rural hospitals in particular have either had to close or cut back ex extensively because of lack of Medicaid expansion because there is a decent percentage of the residents in rural Missouri who use it. It's not just an urban program. Uh, and, of course, then you have the hospitals here in St. Louis have been impacted, although they say they've been able to cover some of that in other ways. Have you been getting a lot of pressure from the hospitals over the years? And just kind of what's your take on, I mean, because they are losing the federal money they used to get, 
for covering the low income. I mean, what yeah. what what are your thoughts about that? They have put a lot of pressure on us um, to expand Medicaid. However, I think they've given up at least on some of us that have refused to expand it. I think they know our position and they've kind of backed off. Do you think that federal money sh- that there should still be federal money to help pay for the um, uninsured, which is what the hospitals had been getting, what's known as dish payments? I mean, did you have any thoughts about that, or did did you think that was excessive as well? Well, what I think we need is we need a reform in our whole entire health care. Um, you know, whether it's being able to purchase across state lines, the expansion of health savings accounts. The problem that we have is we have also we have no tra- transparency. I mean, when you go to a hospital or you go to a doctor, you get a bill, uh, you know, a month later and you don't even know what you're purchasing. When you go to a grocery store and you see, you know, uh, 10 different kinds of loaves of bread, you know the cost. You know exactly what you're buying. We don't have that in healthcare, And until you do that, you won't see pr- prices come down and uh, access expanded. Consumers need to be informed, and a huge problem is, is transparency. Now, before we shift to the dynamics of your Senate race, even if Chris Coster becomes the next governor, do you see the lay of the land on Medicaid expansion changing very much in the legislature, or do you think it's going to be the same result regardless? I think it's going to be the same result. I would like to see some reforms in it, but I don't see it being expanded. So let's kind of talk about the, the race that you're immersed in with uh, now former Representative Rick Stream. He's trying to make a comeback after narrowly losing the county executive race two years ago. It's probably one of the best performances by a Republican for that office in, in a long, in a in long, a long time. time. Um, you know, in some alternate universe, he may not be running against you. He may be county executive right now. What do you see as the biggest differences between you and former Representative Stream? And how do you think this race from kind of a stylistic and, and campaigning perspective is playing out? Well, I'm, I'm very much a grassroots person. Um, I'm big into door knocking, and I'm also winning the fundraising battle. Um, one of the biggest differences, I would say, is, is on the tax issue. Um, you know, I'm a, a low-tax guy. I'm against corporate welfare. And, you know, what you'll find is, you know, he voted for one of the largest tax increases in the history of state um, with that one cent sales tax increase. Um, You'll also find that he's voted for a lot of the corporate welfare. And, you know, those are the two things I'm definitely against. Now, have you originally there had been three Republicans running for the seat at one point. I mean, did you and Stream have any discussions early on when it was clear that both of you were going to be running for this? Um, not really. Um, you know, I, I announced uh, in January of 2015, and, you know, I've been working hard ever since. So how do you foresee it playing out? Do you foresee both of you running TV or radio ads? Flyers. You, flyers, mailers, uh, blimps, balloons. Like, <laughs> how do you think this race is going to play out for, for the voters of this district as far as, like, what they should expect to see? Yeah, I think you'll see some on radio, some on TV or, you know, at least cable TV and probably a lot of mail, um, and you'll see me at the doors. Now, does the fact that there's a really spirited Republican contest for governor, four-way contest, and there's a few other things, but that and then there's the GOP contest for AG, does that help you from the standpoint of increasing turnout? Uh, Because people will be going to the polls maybe for one of the other races. I mean— while I personally think that the legislative seats are extremely important and not enough um, average people pay attention, and these people have very dramatic uh, influence over their lives because of the way you vote, 
they don't always come out for that, but they will come out for something else. And then if they see you, I'm just interested in your take and how you think that might play out. Sure. I mean, I think uh, you have a lot of statewide offices. I think that will drive out turnout. And uh, I think probably the last week, people will probably be sick of political ads. I was going to say, we're, <laughs> we, the governor the governor ads just started. This, this is the week of June 10th. All four candidates have uh, ads right now. Are you supporting anybody in that race? Or are you just basically focusing on your own? I'm mainly f- focusing on my own, but I do like Bruner. Bruner, okay. But is there something particular common? Is there a commonality between the two of you on either like business issues or whatever that has caused you to? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a small business him. owner. He's a business owner, and you know, I think he's been working um, to get conservatives elected um, for quite some time. Now, when you go door to door, I mean, how and how involved or how interested are people as when you're explaining your views and stuff? Or are they all or are they all focused on the shiny object, which is the Trump Clinton thing? Certainly, that gets brought up a lot, um, but I try to focus on issues um, that would, you know, are in the legislature that would affect them. Do you think that average voters separate the two? Because oftentimes, like you hear either Republicans or Democrats saying, "Oh, I'm just so angry at Washington. All the politicians there are just horrible." Do you get a sense that maybe sometimes they conflate what's happening in D.C. with what's happening in Jefferson City? I mean, there are, there are- problems in Jefferson City, obviously, but does, do you get that a lot? Uh, yeah, sometimes that does happen. Um, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, you know, maybe 25, 30 percent of the time people will equate us or think that we work in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, they want us to change something with, uh, you know, Social Security. I think in or... D.C. would cost a lot more than what you're paying now, but <laughs> go ahead. Then your barn house, but continue. <laughs> yeah, as you're, I mean, we get issues, you know, uh, about Social Security. And we're like, no, that's actually a federal issue. We don't deal with Social Security. Um, so, yeah, uh, federal issues get brought up all the time. I mean, how do you think the presidential contest – do you think there's going to be much of a trickle-down? People talk about that all the time, and I'm not sure how much there really is. But in this case, because there's been so much attention lately to Trump, how do you think that might will, – will that affect your race at all, do you think? I don't think it would affect my race because we're voting in August, not in November. Well, but I meant f- – I'm in November, assuming you win the primary. Let's yeah, say. I mean, I, I would say um, there will be a trickle-down um, – but the, how much of a trickle down might depend on the area that you live. Yeah, I was. Is that just good or bad? I mean, I was saying. do you think it's a good trickle down or bad? I mean, I'm just. Do you think more conservatives might be turning out because they either want Trump or can't stand Hillary? I mean, just I'm just interested in your thoughts. I think there's big. Neg- both candidates have big negatives. Whether it's Trump or Clinton, I, we've elected two candidates that have probably bigger negatives than we, uh, you know ever before, and uh, I do think it will be a Republican year. But, you know, I think there's negatives on both sides. I was just going to say, I think Joe and I actually agree on this point, because even though Trump has done some very provocative things, and that's putting it mildly, I haven't really seen much evidence, like polling, that that Clinton is going to win Missouri. And if right. there's if there's not that evidence there, then the National Democratic Party is not going to pour a lot of resources into to win a state that she doesn't need to win in order to right. become president. Right. So... If that occurs and he ends up winning the state by five to 10 percentage points, you could make an argument that Trump could be very helpful to Republicans in Missouri, even when he's unhelpful to, say, Republicans in Illinois or Florida or Ohio or something like that. Exactly. It's gonna, we're going to have to see how this plays out because there's another scenario where he just bombs completely, only wins Missouri by like a half a percentage point, And that probably would hurt the Republicans, I would say. 
But again, we're just going to have to see what happens. Yes, I mean, so yeah, I don't see the, I don't see the Democrats pouring money into Missouri to try to get Clinton elected here. So yeah, the the effects will be a lot less in Missouri than I, other. I states. think that their focus will be on trying to get Coster elected, and to some right. extent, getting Kander elected. Now, do you think? Let's. I mean, Chris, we don't know. It could be uh, Governor Kinder or Governor Bruner. But if it's Coster, how do you envision the General Assembly, which is going to remain overwhelming Republican regardless? How do you? Th- I mean, do you think the relationship will be similar or different to the way it is now with Governor Nixon? Well, I would hope that he would come to the table, and I'd hope that would be better than we've had with Nixon. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. Are you a, are you a proponent of right to work? First of all, I am. Yes. So, if for example, a Kinder or Bruner become governor, how fast do you expect the legislature to pass that in two thousand seventeen? Well, I, I think what you find um, is you find that right-to-work states and states that don't have an income tax happen to be the states that are creating jobs and prospering. So I would think that it, it would definitely be a priority. There is kind of this assumption that, again, if a Republican wins the governorship, they're going to try to pass that maybe in the first three or four months of their governorship. They will probably PQ it in the Senate. I mean, they're going to have to. There's no other way to do it. And since you don't have to override a veto anymore— it's kind of faded. That that's why the governor's race this time is so important, especially if you pay a lot of attention to that. Yeah, issue. I, for both sides. For both sides. Mm-hmm. If Coster wins, you're going to have to try to override a veto, and obviously, when you tried to do that, I think last year it was very difficult to do in the House. So yeah, I think it would probably remain difficult in the House, um, but it'll probably be tried. And we will have to see. Yeah. Uh, so, is there any other particular issues that you're hearing as you go door to door that you are going to make one of your top priorities if you're elected? Um, well, definitely, I'm very much pro-life. Um, you know, every year I file a pro-life bill, whether it's the selling of baby body parts or, um, you know, I think that when you look at the evidence, um, when you look at an ultrasound, you see that life does exist in the womb. Science tells us this. They teach it in universities. And um, so that's definitely a priority of mine is uh, eliminating or limiting abortions. I mean, every, I think, year or two, I think Republicans put forth an abortion restriction. Um, How much further can they really go as far as putting restrictions on that practice? Because it seems like it's very, they've, they've done some big things over the years, and now they're kind of going into more incremental and incremental until they can... I, they can't really ban it because of Roe versus Wade. How much further? Can Although you really some go states issue? are doing that and trying to hope for um, a case before the Supreme Court. How do you see that? Do you think that Missouri should be one of those states, or how would you um, deal with this? Well, I, would, I think it would depend on you know what Supreme Court justices uh, get appointed to the Supreme Court. You know, I mean, if you if you get um, a few more conservative uh, or anti-abortion uh, judges then sure, I think we sh- it should be relitigated. We have a lot more technology today than we did back in uh, the 60s and the 70s. And I think um, the evidence is there that life does exist in the womb. Well, we'll have to see. That'll obviously depend on who becomes the next president. And even if Trump becomes president, there are some conservatives who don't really trust him on that issue. So we'll have to just see. But we appreciate you coming in. We will we'll be watching your race very closely yes. for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And do you happen to be on Twitter? Uh, yes. Koenig for Missouri and www.electandrewkoenig.com. Now, the big question, is it for F-O-R or for the number four? It's the number four. Oh, that's an important important distinction. Some go with, with for the, the 
and some go with for the number. I, I, we're just we're just descending into wackiness here. <laughs> Un- until next time, so long. <laughs>